In this episode, Ryan and I discuss a particular example of an illicit sales practice that goes on in the infinite banking world. We had fun doing it. Hope you find value and thank you for listening. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And here we are on a here we are on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, September the fifth. Um, and we have something to talk about today. We do. Yes, we do. We've had something to talk about for a little while now, and we attempted this <laughs> <laughs> last Saturday, and it, it has to be framed right. So you know, this is a personal. This is not just showing up to the office. This is not just nine to five work. We're not just, uh, you know, mailing it in. You knew Nelson for umpteen odd years. I had three years with him. 16. This is, yeah, touched a lot of various aspects of my life. This is not just selling life insurance, although there's nothing wrong with that. This is also personal and consequently, there can be moments <laughs> where uh, for people who don't have our experience or who haven't had the upbringing in this particular line of work of the sort that we've had, who maybe have a different view about how to market or how to promote their business, sometimes, every so often, uh, th- what we see out there can be a little triggering and which is nothing there's nothing wrong with being triggered per se i mean if you watch the show you know i get triggered all the time but it's <laughs> the way <laughs> it is a source of entertainment for many yeah, well and hopefully that's the case but the, uh, sometimes uh things can be critical and this is not the first time we've done this right there's been other times that we've uh recorded something and then de- decided that it would maybe best to not publish it mm-hmm. so anyway we're not perfect but what we did cover the the f- fundamental content the substance of it is necessary like there's what we're going to s- speak about today and i'll go over it here in a second no one else is talking about and mm-hmm. people do need to be aware of it when i when you presented this to me i'm like whoa like, well this is yeah and so look last saturday you know like every saturday that we record these episodes you know we're giving up uh time that we could be doing other things right so this is a labor of love um you know we're we are very passionate about what we do and and because of what we do and 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 two let me say that you know you kind of mentioned that personal it's not just a job and we've all heard that um you know business is business nothing personal no no um, the young men that I have the opportunity to to be around and participate in their lives. No, no, all business is personal. I don't care what kind of business it is. If I'm going to go down and buy a new car, I'm going to have a, at least a personal conversation with the salesman, the salesperson, maybe the make ready, maybe the GM. I mean, it's personal. Maybe not very deep, right? It may only take place over, you know, a a 12 hour day I don't yep. know how long it takes to buy a new car now but I don't want to go do that process again anyway I'm so miserable <laughs> I'm just saying all business is personal and when you get into the financial world um, it can it can be personal in, a, in an ugly way right sometimes but especially in the life insurance industry it's very personal you know we our clients that we engage with I mean we create a relationship that's going to last a 
pretty long time. It's going to affect them, their future generations or future prodigy that they may or may not have the opportunity to meet. So, I mean, my point being is all business is personal in this life and this business of life insurance is very personal. Yep. Um, And so when you're invested in, in this philosophy and this great idea that you can become your own banker and pushing forward the uh, work of our Nelson Nash, it, it can be very passionate too. And I think we're both very passionate. I think it comes across. A lot of people comment it, comment on our passion, mm-hmm. and you're triggering regularly. So last Saturday, I just want to say that I like to shoot, clay shoot, you know, um, skeet, sporting clays, traps. And I shoot with some men that are pretty high-level shooters, so I'm trying to you know, be like them and up my game. And I gave up an invitation to do a... Uh, a clay shooting to be here which Saturday. may have been part of the problem it was part of the problem <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I was coming off of a week of dealing with you know I mean we get the opportunity to, to talk with a lot of people throughout the week um, and, and kind of some of the background of that you know there's a lot of work that's not completed right that you're, you're working I'm working and some of this uncompleted work will address a lot of these things that that come up so some of the noise that comes up in the infinite banking world uh-huh. and my whole point is um, so there's a multitude of things that you know I shouldn't have pod, I shouldn't have sat down to, to record an episode last Saturday but we did and there's a lot of good content in there that came up but it can't be released in its recorded form because I got a little overly triggered and and had fun doing it too but yeah a little um, too much fun uh we so practiced out of the background we practiced and so uh unusually we came prepared this time yeah <laughs> so let me lay out what happened uh what what we've got some little documents that if you look closely don't look too close but it's like it's, it looks like a you know a testimony that someone gave to a cia agent or something it's all it's redacted. heavily redacted <laughs> right we're not calling anybody out no. none of that so Little background, and you can fill in the blanks or correct me if I'm wrong. So, uh, an individual had contacted your office, um, potentially wanting to uh, had interest in the infinite banking concept. They wanted to become their own banker. Yeah. So they entered into our process. Yep. We do have a process, not and a funnel. As he was, as this person was going through, what's the guy's first name? Or Doesn't matter. Make one up. Doesn't matter. Okay. As this person was going this through the process, yeah. uh, the, 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 as the prospective client was going through the process, he also engaged the services of a quote-unquote fee-only advisor, right? Someone who you can pay a, f- a certain amount of money on a fee basis, right? So this is either a, a stated amount up front for a certain product, right? Maybe a report or something where or they're going to charge you per number of hours that they work and then they're going to bill you, right? As opposed to a commission, as, as opposed to receiving revenue on, on, on commission, right? Which is what a life insurance agent receives. This person says, no, no, I'm not going to receive a commission, I'm going to do fee only. That's what the word only means, is that they're only going to receive a fee that the customer pays them. Okay. It's important to the story. You'll see why. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so they engage this fee only person. The fee only person. Well, wait, let me back up a little bit. So, when they're going through our process, they've gone through underwriting, right? 
we built they're deep in the process they're deep in the process it's, it's really time to deliver yeah right here we are but the rating was changed so we had to restructure the policy because of the individual's health right <clears throat> which is rare okay anyway um the gentleman says oh well let me be all up front which you, you weren't up front right up front was six weeks <laughs> earlier let me be all up front. I hired an independent individual to check your work, or something along those lines. And this wasn't told. It wasn't told to me by them. Um, it was told to me by Illustration Ninja. Um, anyway, you know, thank you, but I don't need anyone to check my work. And if I did need someone to check my work, it wouldn't be you know, a quote unquote professional. I wish I could have been there when you were told that. <laughs> a questionable, you know, fee only persona image. Anyway, so if I'm just saying we're deep in the process, you know, oh, let me be upfront. I've hired somebody to check your work. And from the consumer standpoint, they don't fully know all the time, always, they don't always know what they're doing, right? I mean, they know they're buying life insurance. Um, they, they, you go online, you see all kinds of things online, some good, some not. Um, and you can very easily, as a consumer, get caught up in the noise. Yeah. Right? So if you don't know, if you're not fully comfortable and confident in what you're doing, and we all want to do the best thing for ourselves and our family, there's no issue with that. Right. You know, second opinions are what they are. You know, go get all the second opinions that you want. And then when you want to do something correctly, let me know. <laughs> And then contact us. So listen, I think what you're saying is that uh, we understand the idea that someone would want to get an independent perspective so that they are confident in doing what they're intending to do. Is uh, that no, fair? It's very fair. And okay. It's, look, whenever you're paying large premium, I get it. I understand. When you're making large purchases, I get it. You should know what you're doing, and you should have the confidence in your decisions. No question about that. Had I known there was any reservations, we would have stopped the process right there. Yeah. And, and or you actually, would have answered the questions. I mean, if there was questions about if there was, which we do, <laughs> right? It's the whole point of the process okay. is to address areas of uncertainty and explain why. I've had people tell me in my process, there's that, the, that it seems like, and I don't ask them, they just offer this. They say, it's, I don't feel pressured. I, I don't feel like you're trying to, and I'm not, you know, it's very much, if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. Very much. My role is, just to help you see what's going on and then you'll know what to do and so had you know had this person been up front then you would have had the opportunity to elaborate on some things absolutely and i elaborate on every bit of this with our clients i mean he so the, some additional background. There are there are fin, there are members of the financial advisory community, and I'm sure let's let's assume angelic intentions, right? I'm I'm sure that many of them, almost all of them, are very well intended and probably competent and want to and maybe even do provide legitimate value to people who pay them a fee. So and listen, I'm as red I'm a red blooded capitalist. As libertarian as they come, there's nothing wrong with making some money. You should too. You are. We do. Everybody should. That's the that's a you know the fundamental cornerstone of mutual benefit. There's nothing wrong with that. So we're not criticizing the the fact that this particular fee only advisor earned a fee, right? We're just saying that that's how they presented themselves. And the the issue 
is that there were maybe there's probably a, a relationship behind that that was not disclosed. But well, no, no, up. probably, yeah, yeah. So the individual thought he was hiring an actuary. Yes. Right. That's what he said. James, I hired an actuary. You know, I don't know if he said to check your work or not, but I hired an actuary. That's what he did. That's what he. That's exactly yeah. what he did, which is whatever. So the actuary uh, that charges per hour and then presents himself as a fee only insurance advisor um, sends a poorly written email. And, nice. you know, Mr. Griggs here is a legitimate writer, so I'll let him shred the, the writing. Yeah. I but, mean, the idea that money was charged. Well, and I did find out how much money was charged or was going to be Hundreds billed. of oh, dollars gosh, per hour. $395 an hour for this stuff. But here, let me back up. And, and I want to be clear that what goes on in the financial world goes on in the financial world. And I'm not saying that, that, that this is a terrible thing. The only reason why we're talking about this is to share with the general public that things like this goes on. That's things exactly like right. this happen. So yeah. the individual, um, you know, hires what he thinks is an independent professional yep. to review a life insurance illustration. And the individual is a quote unquote licensed Actuary, All right, well, listen, when actuaries, when life insurance actuaries and health insurance actuaries buy life insurance, they call my office, okay? <laughs> an actuary is an actuary is an actuary. Yep. You would be surprised how many home office life insurance officers don't own life insurance. So just because the guy's an actuary, what does that mean? It means he can consult with insurance companies on how to price insurance products? It means he receives some sort of designation from some sort of organization that uses the term actuary. And it also means That's that... That's all that means. That those organizations that that, uh, that that confer these designations on the participants generally always have a code of conduct yeah. or code of ethics yes. involved. Every designation or affiliation that we, even the life insurance companies have a code of conduct. Even even the life insurance companies have a code of ethics. Okay? These actuarial designation entities that confer those designations have to have their own code of conduct and their own code of ethics. <clears throat> and so if he's an actuary, why is he giving life insurance investment advice or life insurance advice? Right. All right. Do you have a life insurance license to give advice? Does that actuarial designation give you the authority to give advice on life insurance or just an opinion? And let me go on. Fee only life insurance. Right. So let, let, <clears throat> let, let's wrap. Uh, let's put uh, the other layer on here. The reason we're talking about code of ethics and disclosure and all, all of these things is because this in, the the fee only advisor sent a quote unquote report, which is really a badly written email, to the particular prospective client. Right. But with that report was also included another illustration from a different insurance company built by a life insurance agent. Okay, so you have- It only a, builds on. life you, insurance you a, one way. Right, yeah, hold on. You have a fee-only advisor. Fee-only, only. Sending a life insurance illustration from, an, from a licensed life insurance agent to this individual. 
Okay. So the idea, and we can assume angelic intentions all, all, all along, and I know you're critical of that, but the the notion that the life insurance agent and the fee-only advisor are just friends and that there's no financial relationship. There's no in, revenue share? In my, in, in my view, is naive, mm. right? The, it wasn't as though... I can't imagine the circumstances where a fee-only advisor said, oh, well, for this client's best interest, I'm going to go look to the licensed life insurance agents and, and find somebody, maybe who's competent in the infinite banking concept, because that's what the client wanted. And, and I'm going to go search for one of those people, and we're going to initiate this relationship, and I'm just going to share a life insurance illustration for the benefit of the client. I'm sorry. It, it doesn't happen. I'm not sorry. That doesn't happen. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. That's not, yeah, that's... <laughs> so what that's happened here? What, that's not what occurred. And so the reason we're triggered, the reason I'm triggered, the reason it's... And the reason we went off on a tangent last time is because that relationship is suspect. And if other people... Like, and I'm glad you mentioned it. Like, the reason we're doing this is that I'm sure... This is happening to other people. No, he was he was seriously shocked last Saturday when I showed him this. I'm like, I want to talk about this because this is what he you you were like was, beside yourself. You're like, use the word dark. Yeah, just <laughs> I mean, in talking about it, it's like, whoa, like. I don't know. Maybe I was naive or whatever, but All right, so here here's the point. So the guy goes the 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 prospective client, the consumer reaches out to what he thinks is an independent third party fee only um, professional to give an opinion or a report on, you know, a life insurance policy that he's considering. An illustration. Yeah, an illustration. So, um, okay. But then that's the background. Yeah, that yeah, but then the guy's an actuary, right? And then he's giving advice on life insurance purchasing and structure, but then he's backdooring. He's like, here, I've looked at this and it's okay. And he contradicts himself throughout the report. Yep, which um, we'll get into. Yeah. But then he says, Well, this is what you should do, or this is what I would do, this yeah. is what I, you would I would rather have you do. And then the idea that that relationship between a, an actuary and a life insurance agent isn't uh, remunerated in some way, you know, the, the idea that there isn't a revenue share in some way is ridiculous. And the fact that right. he presents himself as a fee-only individual and then shares in revenue and any other source of revenue on that, there's a violation of the Code of Ethics. Yeah. There's a violation of um, really any standard integrity yeah. integrity for people who aren't aware because this was me a few years ago uh, in the financial business the source of revenue is that, that is the center of all regulatory focus right whether it's a, a a commission whether it's fee only right there are all these different licenses that are available all have to all revolve around the source of revenue right you have to have a certain license in order to sell a securitized product you have to have a certain license in order to sell a commission product you it's that's the way the industry is structured and disclosure yes full License disclosure and then disclose and so that's why we're harping not harping that's why we're emphasizing this right is that this person knows that you don't 
fall into the financial industry without being aware of the necessity of disclosure of the source of revenue. And so what's happening here is someone who presents themselves as a fee-only advisor is smuggling in the sale of a commission product and unless we're in the land of angels is participating in the financial remuneration of that sale. No question. And that's a problem, right? Well, and beyond that, beyond that, the, the illustration that he smuggled in, uh, (laughs) less than honestly, less than forthrightly is a continuation of what is, is the epitome of the noise that lives in the infinite banking world. Yes. So the the company is a great stalwart mutual life insurance company. The structure is shredded to the point that in the future, the integrity is compromised. But the consumer wouldn't have any way of knowing no that. No idea of knowing And that. he knows, the consumer knows that he doesn't know enough to be comfortable, so he's therefore reaching out yeah, to this out independent you know, professional. And then you get recommendations that are just going to make it worse for him in the future. And you're paying for that. Ugh. It's terrible. Yeah. And then these advisors will turn around and complain when the federal government comes in oh, with yeah. all new sorts of regulation. It's like, you are part of the problem. I'm not going to do all that. They don't but, care. All right. So okay. that's the background. And then we're going to go through this. So what I have, what we have in front of us are redacted <laughs> documents <laughs> so that we don't call anybody out by name. That's not the point. But we've got the original email with nine points. And then there's a follow-up with additional commentary from this individual and so a total of i guess 19 points and my gosh you know i gotta have lunch at some point so i'm not gonna go through all of them uh but we want to touch on some of what's discussed so that you know when you go if you have engaged or you're thinking of engaging an independent quote-unquote independent fee-only person or if someone's talking to you about life insurance in whatever respect that you have a sense of what to be aware of, right? Had a conversation with a lady out in New York uh, earlier this week who said, you know, because we, we went through how a life insurance product works. I, I, I'm not, it, it boggles my mind that this is not covered in every financial relationship, but uh, we explained that how base premium, PUA premium, cash value, death benefit, and dividends integrate together so that she could understand the asset. What a concept. And she's like, you know, no one, the last person she had talked to, she's like, now I understand. Like, now I see why what's happening is happening. And we explained the problem and the other thing and the other illustration that these people had, you know, annually, annually renewable term uh, illustrated out to age 99, paying 49 grand in term premium at age 80. I mean, it's like. What? So the, the, <laughs> it makes you wonder whether the agent, this particular agent, can build an illustration. That's why he does what he does. Right. Uh, but most agents can't. I'm not saying it all, and I'm not even disparaging agents, but you know, who wants to pay annual renewable term to age 99? I, I, I uh, just know. a fair. I question. don't know. Yeah. Okay. And so the, the point is that we want to review some of this language so that if you come across it you'll know what time it is. This guy was throwing around $10 words like he was somebody. Got to justify that $400 hourly uh, uh, fee. Didn't didn't 
say anything. Or break out the dictionary. Or, you know? Or the thesaurus. Repeating, but we're going to repeat it. All right, so point one. Okay. I'm not blown away by this illustration. Okay, an illustration-centric criticism demonstrates that the individual does not fully understand life insurance because an illustration is is just that it's an illustration it is not a contract there's nothing guaranteed about it uh, it may or may not bear a relation to what the actual policy language says and if you know what you're doing with illustration software which admittedly is rare but those who do can make an illustration dance Listen, right? so, so initial problem up front yeah if, if, but if you're if you are holding yourself out to be a fee-only insurance advisor and you're you are um comparing companies which is kind of what he 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 in yep in the in the appearance of comparing companies he's really disparaging one company to the other company also and, legally like there are uh what are they called they're uh uh there Dang are statutes against like, disparaging your competitor in yeah. the life insurance industry. Okay, and, and there's because there's a history of that. Go figure. But <laughs> if if the individual was worth his fee, he would have either said, you know what, I don't know enough about this company to be a forthright, straightforward comparison, or. I am worth my fee and I do know how to compare these companies and this is what you're not seeing on the illustration that could be done or can't be done. Right. None of that. None of that. None of that which would benefit the client. Yep. Right. So he's looking at a fixed illustration um, and then just disparaging it unmercifully. Yep. All right, so point one, it's illustration. Second point, it, I note that it takes eight years before your cash value eclipses the sum of premiums paid. That is higher than I would normally see in an optimally designed accumulation-oriented policy. My gosh, I'm exhausted already. Um, an optimally designed accumulation-oriented policy. You want to talk about $5 words. Oh, my God. Well, if you even look at that in year eight, so you're picking a point in time in the future, and I've been as guilty of that as anybody in the last 15 years mm -hmm. in presentations all over the country, pointing out when cumulative premium equal cumulative cash value, you know, um, you're just picking out a point in time in the future, not without any consideration of premiums going up or down, Right, things changing in the future, which everything changes in the future. Yep. And so, yeah, the uh, that's that's not. I mean, you see that all the time. Accumulation, accumulation. Yeah. It gets worse. Here's some here's some background, right? So, at some point in a policy built where a majority of premium paid goes to the PUA, eventually, even with 100% base only premium, a policy built that way, at some point your cash value will exceed what's called your cost basis, will exceed how much premium you've paid in since day cumulative one. Cumulative right? premium, cumulative cash value. That's going to happen at some point. That's right? period. And so there's a crit the criticism here is that it doesn't happen soon enough. And right? and and the other individual, not and not just in the big wide world of infinite banking, people, part of the noise is you look at Nelson's work in equipment finance and he goes cash on cash, the logger from Eastern North Carolina, right? He, 40,000 a year in premium, four years, 160,000 in, you've got like $156,000 in cash value at the end of year four. Well, look, that illustration was built in 2000. 
Nelson himself modified it in 2010. Here we are in 2020. And I'm not, I don't want to over explain anything, but can we consider the fact that interest rates have come down? Dividend scales have come down. The CSO tables, the Commissioner Standard Ordinary Tables, how life insurance is priced has changed three times. And you, how, so you can't control any of that, neither can I. Right. So today, what is very prevalent in the big wide world of the infinite banking concept are people are trying to go cash on cash in year one, two, three, or four, right? And saying, well, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Or this is, this is infinite banking, or this is correct. When, no. That's not correct, and there are many reasons why. And don't ask all the questions of James. I'm an infinite banking expert. Can you elaborate on what properly structured is? Um, okay. But here, this next one, next point four, yes. is like, I love this. Now we're really getting to it, yeah. I calculate a mortality-adjusted return of 4.17 for this illustration, which is roughly the quote-unquote expected after-tax return if the policy is held until death. Think of it as a weighted average outcome if the dividend scale never changes and the weights are equal to the probability of dying at each age. Now, I think the guy might have taken some actuarial courses. I question the designations if they're legitimate, but can you throw any more $10 words in there? Yeah. Did that bring any clarity to you? I mean, you know, I don't want to be flippant because I, I like I want to be instructive and helpful. Okay. It's I'm just a little public confession. It's difficult because uh, <laughs> which is roughly the expected after tax return when the policy is held until death. In what year? So the assumption is the guy knows when he's going to die. Right? You oh, wait. have to know wait. the end date in order to calculate that number. And and he also knows the tax bracket that the gentleman is in now and will and be. And will be in the future. Every year into the future, right? Because he's calculated an annualized rate of return. <laughs> right, right. And so, therefore, he knows the future tax code. I think the guy can make a lot more money. Predicting the freaking future. Yeah, no, giving tax advice. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Who I know people know will pay 39500 for your report <laughs> if you can accurately predict that. Predict that. Okay. And what, all of which, let's suppose all that's the case. It's not, but suppose it is. Disclose that. If we're, if we're picking an arbitrary death date, right, an arbitrary mortality, okay. Suspect, but okay. Tell me what it is. I'm assuming that you pass away at age such and such. Right, using that assumption and assuming a tax rate of I don't know thirty five percent, fifty. If if we're out at natural mortality, given this guy's age, it's probably seventy five percent. So I'm assuming this tax rate. I'm assuming you live this long, and given those assumptions, this is what. Oh, the one thing he does say is that a weighted average outcome if the dividend scale never changes. Okay, what? So the dividends are never going to change. We, the tax rates are going are to be something, and you're going to die at a certain age. Given all that arbitrary black box thinking, I, uh, I then discovered well, this number. Listen, wait. The professional fee-only insurance advisor knows dang and well dividends are going to change in the future. So that's less than honest on its face. All right. Yeah. All right. We're being and positive. Now, we're being I'm being positive. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling straightforward. Yeah. What I see. I just okay. know people are criticize. Is the uh, 4.17% return, is that on the cash value? And wait a minute, till death, if held to death. You tell me on the day of your death, what's most important, the present cash value or the death benefit? I'm just asking. 
Ooh. Oh, Ooh. okay. So, well, let me help this uh, professional out. The rate of return would be much higher on yeah, shoot to the roof the death benefit because anyway, there's all right. So that's point three. Several things affect and, and the that re- as well. Well, the reason that that number is there, right? The reason he has to. S- come up with a number to address the illustration is because he's then going to talk about higher numbers from on what? other illustrations from another company, right? So the, the reason the numerical analysis is often done, not always, you know, I know the guys out there who sell the calculators and all this, and I'm sure that it facilitates the conversation with the client because we don't have a full conceptual understanding of the concept. I mean, I get it, right? There's a role, maybe there's a role for it. I don't use them, Look, but those calculators are, are made for people like this, man. Just yep. put those. I would go to town. Can you imagine the person that we're thinking of and this guy getting together? I'm not, thinking of anybody in particular okay, i'm just saying that uh, all the calculators and all of the excel spreadsheets that that people mutilate and abuse right uh that's what that's for they're made um, they should you know those calculators should come with some kind of ai printable report so you can create all these magical illustrations and you just push print and then you could charge 395 for a report and give them the Excel spreadsheet to back it up. Yeah. And you don't even have to be an actuary. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm in the wrong business. I am. I've, been, <laughs> I've been buying cows. Okay, so the, number four, there are numerous other policies available today that would have illustrations with mortality adjusted returns between four and a half and five and a quarter percent. Those extra basis points can mean a lot over the life of your policy. I mean, listen, just because I'm reading the sentence doesn't mean that it's a, a, a proper way to <laughs> verbalize what he wants to say. Because the idea that a policy available would have an illustration, that that formulation is in a pro- policies don't have illustrations. You can illustrate a potential policy but that policy wouldn't have that. It's not like the policy throws off the illustration, you know, and an illustration is just that. It's all it is, right? It's assuming dividend scales never change. Nothing. It's assuming nothing changes. That's what every illustration assumes. It, yeah. It's okay. just a, not a correct way but to formulate that. Even in that one point, you know, um, some of these policies that he prefers are available, from 4.5 to 5.25, is that the risk-adjusted, you know, expected rate of return is held to death? I mean, he's, so he's throwing out some numbers up here. This one's 4.17 under that description, and but there are others available at 4.5 up to 5.25. I mean, yeah. what, nope. is it, what does that mean? Uh, it, I, I'm sure. It means, it means that his is know. bigger than yours. It means that his policy has bigger numbers than the one. And there we go. We're on the size thing. Because next yep. point, such and such company is much smaller and lesser known than that. the companies I would normally consider for policies like this. So the guy's an actuary and a life insurance agent. Hmm. Must be. But he's fee only because he would is so he doesn't one. get remunerated in any other way. There's no cost revenue sharing with yeah. all of these. Yeah, yeah. So we have an emphasis on size, and we have an emphasis on how uh, publicly uh, recognizable the particular name is. Right. Oh yeah. Which, if you read Becoming Your Own Banker, you will find no mention of. Nelson says, you need a company that's been around for 100 years, paid a dividend for each one of those years. 
and ha- is mutual. You know, that's uh, I get. There's no advertising budget. No, no, what, what, I get what, pushed back an awful lot for not mentioning life insurance companies. I have yeah, people. Jane, that, what, what company do you use? Come on, the best ones in North America to per, practice banking with, and those are the very ones I own as well. But I'm married to my wife. I'm not married to a life insurance company. Okay, and and I have talked on and on and on about life insurance companies, but um, this idea that size matters. You know, in Texas, everything is bigger in Texas. You can take that to the bank. These companies are not domiciled in Texas, okay? So if there was a mutual life insurance company domiciled in Texas, they would be the biggest. Okay. (laughs) Let me just say that, and I love this because it's true. It emphasizes a point. If bigger was better, wouldn't Miss America be 300 pounds? What does bigger mean? Does it mean that... The larger company has more uh, surplus notes on its books so they can play games on their P&L? Does it mean they have more policies in force so there's a, a greater risk to them? Does it mean that they pay a larger dividend or does it mean they publish a larger dividend scale that they never intend to pay? What does that mean? Does it mean they have more square footage in the home office? <laughs> I'm asking. Does it does mean it, the salary enjoyed by the executives? Oh, listen, <laughs> listen. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, no, because they're mutual. You know, like, a lot of this information isn't public. You have to go to these certain states that make these companies disclose these certain things. And my question is this. Um, does it mean that you're using a company that has 20 executive vice presidents that earn $10 million a year or $20 million a year each? Yep. What does it mean? Somebody Bigger. who wanted to, a little free thought for maybe someone who's looking for something to do and, and professional-wise, uh, you could make a career out of wearing out these state insurance commissions no, with freedom could. of information requests. <laughs> you could. And just publish that. I mean, it would... I would enjoy that. Someone should do it because I don't want to. But it would be... Okay, so we covered size and publicly marketing, but all that. All right. Uh, Such and such companies' dividend interest rate... It's currently... I I, I don't even like saying that. I don't either. What's a dividend interest rate? What is that? A dividend interest rate is not a thing, right? What he means is the... Published dividend scale. current gross dividend crediting scale is what... He means published. Yeah, it is five point two percent. The only company in uh, for this company's defense <laughs> that the uh, yep. I, I got to say professional and quote unquote. Let me air quotes here. That the individual. Yep. That the fee only guy. I'm a. He's a yep. fee only guy. Um, he's disparaging the only company in North America that increased their dividend this year. Now, most of you are automatically going to know who that is, but. Most of them. No, they're not. <laughs> That's okay. Well, all the eight, you know, half of the yeah, viewers the are agents. Uh, right. So that is actually on the lower end of the spectrum among the handful of companies I would normally consider. All right. So Mr. Fionni has now, in the first six points, twice consi- told this and told the individual the companies he would consider for policies like this. Right, but he's fee only. Right, we're not enjoying any revenue from a commit from the sale of a commission product. Nah. All right. Number seven. 
now we're going back to uh, the percentile of ranking is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, um, uh, you know that that there he's he's quoting the Comdex score. Every life insurance company has a Comdex score. The Comdex score is up to a hundred, zero to a hundred. You can look and, this up; it's online. Yeah, yeah, and it's just an amalgamation, really, of all of the other rating services. So he's squabbling between the ninety fifth percentile, which is not accurate to the 100th percentile. So he's just saying, well, these other companies that I regularly get paid from (laughs) with revenue sharing arrangements um, fall in the upper percentile of the Comdex score. It's an attempt. All of this so far has been an attempt to frame what, what, what is eventually coming, right? Which is the illustration from the other company. And and he's doing it, uh, and attempting to do it numerically and oftentimes because we're within in finance, windows <laughs> yeah because we're in finance people think that it's all about the numbers and look yes money is is the way we talk about it is in the form of numbers i get that i'm not jumping over it yes i'm an economist no that doesn't mean i enjoy you know lounging back in with statistical tables all the time so much in finance is conceptual and qualitative as opposed to quantitative. The most important part of becoming your own banker is not those illustrations, right? The important part is the conceptual, right? The infinite banking concept is an exercise in imagination, reason, logic, and prophecy. And the most important element is imagination. And imagination is qualitative, right? So this, what, what's being done here is an attempt to grapple with the complexity of life insurance in numerical terms in in order to position what's ultimately coming, which is a, a sales recommendation. It's not presented that way, but that's what it is, right? That's why this is the what, and that's what you're gonna, that's what so many advisors are taught to do. That's what every, that's, that is the training in the financial services industry. If you're investments, legitimately in investments, it is all about assets under management and how you can present whatever it is you're selling to procure the assets under your management. And that is is what it is. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. That is what it is. So everything about the life insurance industry has been sales, right? They have to sell policies to get paid, right? The, the agent, the advisor. Um, so in, 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 as a side note, interesting side note, whenever you do a cookie-cutting design like this, um, the illustration, yeah. Yeah, this individual, this, and he, they're not the only one. I mean, so whenever you just, you know, can push a button, I build policies one way, this way, no other way, and you see it out there in the big wide world, all like there has to be some magical relationship percentage between the base whole life policy premium yep. and the paid up additions rider premium and all of the noise around the industry surrounded by that within the infinite banking world my point is this that they the 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 individuals build policies one way for everyone no matter what this is based on a percentage a relationship between premium allocated to the base and premium allocated to the pua this percentage is correct and this is the only way to do it so let's just press a button and everybody gets the same policy right okay now if that's the case and it is i mean i kind of you know, uh, 
you know, it's, it's kind of like watching somebody stand on the ground and tell the truth as to watch somebody else, you know, climb a pole and tell a lie. I mean, these kind of people would rather climb a pole and tell a lie as to stand on the ground and tell the truth. And you got to scratch your head and wonder why. You know, what are they getting out of it? Well, here's one thing that they may be getting out of it. If you don't spend any time on policy design, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it takes a week to build a policy, but... Um, to to legitimately it might take life insurance company staff that long <laughs> <laughs> to legitimately put together a solution for a particular client takes time yeah um, and then if you have just a button that you can push oh well here's here's I'm going to put this percentage to the base this percentage to the PUA and I'm going to pay premium for this amount of years and that's it like you can spend all your time getting arrangements with other <laughs> people that appear professional to to put into place these revenue shares and you can right. spend time on all that. So my, my comment on that is that there's hey, no... Hey, don't jump over that. that I'm is, not. I know. There's no oh. magic. There's no magic in a particular premium design, a, a particular policy design. If you look in uh, Becoming Your Own Banker, the policies in equipment financing are 37.5, 62.5, right? Just divide the base premium or the PUA premium by the total. The percentages will f- fall out, right? The one in an even distribution of age classes is 30.70, right? Meaning they're different. Right, so that in Nelson's book, the policy structures that are demonstrated in the illustration are different. Right, so there's no magic in particular. That's, you that's, gotta wonder why he built them that way. Maybe it depended on the individual client. Ooh. All right, next point, I want to jump to the response email. And we're uh, going to jump over this where he beats up the size of the company, or we yeah, already we talked did, about we that. Talked okay. About that. All right. So the next one is. So the, I, but I, I, I got to say that that's not even legitimate, though, right? If, the, if he's really, a, a, if you're a professional worthy of a fee, right, then you should know enough about all the companies that you're like supposed to be commenting on, right? To the, to I mean, it's not even full disclosure. He's saying, oh, yeah. this is this, and it's really not that. My right. point being, he's saying he's talking about the size of the company. And it's not even legitimate. Okay. Which, that doesn't bad. mean to imply anything else in here is legitimate, because it's not. All right. So the next one. My, okay, so I guess the client sent an illustration that was prepared to, by in your office mm-hmm. to this fee-only advisor, and now the fee-only advisor is commenting on the illustration. Yeah, that's all the comments the have client. been on that illustration, that, all right, so the, the solution that we created. This next person correctly. said that... Um, Perhaps I don't appreciate enough yet what the advantages of this company design are. Whoa, you want to talk about some truth. Mm. Perhaps that's the case. But as of right now, I would steer you to, he meant to put to, to a different, or in, I, I, would, I would steer you in a different direction that would add substantial value. All right, steering a client. I mean, my goodness, man. It's, you know, we're not the, I'm, I'm not a rat. Right, so we're not like sending this to a commission and like filing complaints or anything. But if I'm th- if I'm this guy, I would be, and I'm not. I would be nervous about putting stuff like this in writing. Mm. Being a fee only, you tell me a fee only person. It, he's steering somebody no, to a, the sale of a commission product, providing the illustration for it. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be, I would. Be I wonder how often this is the first time I've seen this. Yeah, right, but. Um, the individual that he's in collusion with, I mean, they stalk our channel. We've taught them everything they know, but not everything we know, right? So, I mean, they're, 
I, I don't know. As soon as this, if this episode hits the airways, it's going to. Um, I would think that this guy, he's going to know. I just, my whole point is, yeah, I would be leery too if I were him. I can't believe he's even doing that, and I'm sure that he's not going to continue to do it. And but it does make me wonder how long he's been doing it. Um, anyway, yeah, he's got a he's got a, a style, right there. There's a there's a, a a plan. There's a strategy. This is no this is not. He didn't wake up one day and oh decide. no. So this is learned, or at least this is practice. Uh, practice. That, that's the right word. This Absolutely. is practiced. Yeah. yeah. All right, so, so th- he's in, the done ne- this. in the next point, there's a criticism of the mutual holding company concept, and oh, yeah. that's a whole series of episodes. But um, you know, he he, uh, I'm a big, pro- not me, this person. I'm a big proponent of mutual companies for non guaranteed cash value policies. Um, yeah, no kidding. You know, I mean, it's like it's it's kind of superficial. I, I, I I'm just. There's a lot of superficial words yeah. in here. So a mutual holding company structure is a is a a, a legal corporate organization in which some life insurance companies function, right? So a a parent company, an umbrella company will own a a, a stake in not fully owned but have an, a, an ownership stake in a mutual holding company and that mutual holding company holds the life insurance company right the reason for the existence of the mutual holding company is to own the mutual company right and then policy owners who receive their policies from the life insurance company have residual claimancy are entitled to the dividend that's paid by the life insurance company and have voting rights in the mutual holding company right and so the, I know that's a lot of terminology. I'm not trying to confuse anybody. My point is that in the mutual holding company structure, mutuality is preserved. Okay, The voting rights and contractual entitlement to the dividend are preserved. That's the point. That's what mutuality is. Right, And so the to say that a mutual holding company is either worse than or superior to a mutual company per se it's, it's, it's almost like drawing a distinction without a difference because the, the essence of mutuality is the same in both cases. And there are some reasons it's that implied. some might suggest that a mutual holding company structure might even be superior because it gives, we preserve <clears throat> mutuality and give and allow the organization to acquire the necessary capital to issue new products. Now you're getting down to the point of it. So yes. you look at the the, the uh, fee-only guy shredded the size or attempted to shred the size of the life insurance company who happened to demutualize in the past so a mutual holding company could purchase them, maintaining the mutuality, maintaining the participatory relationship of the policyholder, so owner of the mutual holding company, therefore receives the experience, their share of the experience of the insurance company through the dividend. But now, but now, the company, the parent company that created the mutual holding company to purchase the demutualized company, how much capital do they have? Mm-hmm. And how much access? So, I don't want to jump over the access to capital because in the in the in the current environment today in the financial world, it costs a lot of money 
to put a product on the street by any life insurance company, whether it's an annuity product or a life insurance product. Yeah. And therefore, you see a lot of these big four companies, they only have one product. They have one product payable to age, you know, 120, and then you can short pay it, pay it to 100, pay it to 30 pay, 10 pay, 20 pay. They may have a single premium life policy, and then they may have a 10 pay life policy. Very few products, right? Because they don't want to spend the money to create the new products, to put them on the street and get them approved in all 50 because states. Because they can't raise the capital. While they're paying two, you know, hundred VPs $20 million a year. Yeah, they can't pay those inflated salaries and have product variation. So <laughs> I would be interested, since he's uh, the, the only guy, is shredding the size of the company and the mutual holding construct um, surely you don't want to talk about the billions of dollars that the company that created the mutual holding company to buy the little life insurance company. You don't want to talk about their P&L. Right. You don't want to talk about how much capital they have and how uh, what their philosophy is on the infinite banking concept and how historically they have paid the dividend, which you, that they published that they would pay. And you allude to, he alludes to this idea that a dividend may or may not be paid. And he's promoting a company that has a history of not paying the illustrated dividends and comparing it to a company who does have a history of paying dividends. So those things, funny enough, are not anywhere in this report. Right. All right. Next point. There's a lot here. There's a ton here. Um I'm going to skip over the state licensure thing. Oh, well, you know, look, Break too, he down. gets down to the uh, rate of return. You know, recall the calculated the mortality adjusted return at 4.17. In contrast, the mortality adjusted return of the illustration that he just had his buddy prepare for him was a couple of bips higher. And this is, we're projecting this out over a 20, 30, 35 year timeline. Um, and he's saying that all of that, all of that difference is in the non-guaranteed dividend and it's going to make a huge difference in the value ultimately that this consumer enjoys knowing full well that uh that difference in rates of return that he calculated isn't enough to change anyone's life and then it's less than honest because he's basing it on a non-guaranteed future dividend yeah let me rephrase and repeat that one company pays the illustrated dividend and the other company has a history of not paying the illustrated dividend and he's a professional that should know that. If that's true, and it is, it should be somewhere in this unbiased report. And it's not. Okay. I agree. Next up, there's criticism of the direct recognition and non-direct recognition element. So this is, this is, this happened with a client uh, earlier this week, actually. The, a way that uh, the, the the recognition treatment that a company confers to a given policy, the way that's explained oftentimes is relative to the interest rate, uh, the, the, the way interest is charged on policy loans, right? So uh, in this case, the individual is, the, the, the fee-only guy is criticizing non-direct recognition treatment, which means that a company is going to pay the same dividend regardless of whether or not the policy owner has a loan balance outstanding one year to the next. He's criticizing that because uh, there's a, a variable interest rate regime on policy loans. And we are conditioned 
to think that variable interest is always and everywhere a bad thing. And that's what's often used to criticize non-direct recognition. Um, what I like to point out to people is that the companies that fully demutualized in the 80s many of which are still around today, became full stock companies, uh, ha offered fixed interest rates on their policy loans. And when interest rates shot up north of 20%, those companies experienced a disproportionate demand for policy loans because the policy owners could get to money at low fixed interest rates relative to what was being charged on the market. Okay, so the, the company, because the, these companies experienced a disproportionate demand for their policy loans, which put a drain on the capital available to them, right? Well, if you have a company that has a drain on capital, you now have a, an institution that, lo and behold, surprise, surprise, underestimated its need for capital. And when that happened, they fully demutualized. <laughs> I mean, they had to go to the open market. They had to sell equity to the open market, to, uh, to people other than their policy owners, right? So the consequence of that is that policy owners lost entitlement to the dividend by virtue of being a policy owner. Now, in order to receive a, a dividend, it wasn't enough to just be a policy owner. You had to have stock in the company. And that's you know, if, if we if there were only stock mutual <laughs> stock mutual company, if there were only stock life insurance companies in the world, and that's all we had to deal with, dividend paying whole life for certain reasons that we've explained elsewhere would still be superior for the purposes of capital accumulation and deployment. So there's nothing per se wrong about it, but so long as we have mutual companies to work with. Might as well use them because it's nice to be entitled to the dividend by contract by virtue of being a policy owner. Okay, so point being, there there are certain, you know, when you buy a, a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, you're not just becoming a customer or a client of the company. You're becoming part owner. You're not just buying the policy, you're buying the business. Okay, and so you... you and any business owner will tell you this, it's better to have a company that's robust to future financial and economic and economic fluctuations than it is to be the one that is vulnerable to it. And therefore, the variable loan rate regime, in other words, a company that's able to charge a, a loan rate that, is, that corresponds to the market rate, one might think, you would be reasonable to think, would be more robust, more durable to future economic fluctuations. That's my point. None of that's mentioned in this little point. But he, he mentions fixed loan rates briefly as yeah. as it is the way it is mentioned is adds no value. Yeah. Right. So he's just filling out a point. Maybe he's trying to get to ten points, you know. That's another marketing thing, right? The right. ten things of this and the ten things of that. He does go on to say I love how he kind of wraps it up. Well, he does encourage them. It's like, well, if you've already done an exam for the one company, you know, get all that information from that company to the other yeah, company. Yeah, make it so, easy for you. Yeah, yeah. Almost like he's walking him through the underwriting process. What? Hmm. hmm. No, 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 no. We helped him all the way through the underwriting process. And then, you know, being all up front, the prospective client says, hey, 
you know, had this independent don't worry, they don't sell anything. It's an independent fee only opinion. And the consumer wound up not realizing that they had a working relationship, the fee only guy and the uh, sales agent, the life yep. agent with the other company. Um, he seemed what who, no, seemed who is not surprised. an authorized IBC practitioner. <coughs> what? Imagine. Well, he was at one time. Hmm. It is no longer. Hmm. Whatever. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know where that is, but okay. He wraps it up saying, you know, note that I have not focused my efforts so far, or I have focused my efforts so far simply on designing an optimal policy for you. So now he's doing policy design. Yeah, now he does policy Fee-only design. The only advisor doing policy design. Funny how this individual that prepared the illustration does the same illustration for everybody that contacts him. Mm. The same structure at 100% of the time. But the fee-only guys taking, you know, credit for, I've only spent my time designing uh, an optimal policy for you. Yeah. I love that. And the last part to really uh, kick it off, he says that... uh, Yeah, yeah. He spent all the time designing. He hasn't even gotten to the point of his need to opine on the infinite banking concept. Right. Is that I, where you're going? Yep. Oh I my have gosh. not yet opined on the infinite banking concept or how you will use this policy, which is the <laughs> point of oh buying God. life insurance built for the infinite banking concept, that to use the policy. So I'm charging you a fee to give you a report, and I'm not going to address the point of why you're doing what you're doing. And then refers to the infinite banking concept as a sales gimmick. And that refers it, to they, the velocity of money or something yeah, like that. A sales gimmick that talks about velocity of money or something like that. What straightforward dishonesty. I mean, oh my gosh, I can't even believe you, Mr. Fee Only Guy, would sign that and send that and charge for that. You know, shame on you. Um, But, you know, it happens, and, you know, who's surprised? Who's surprised? So let's – I think a good way to uh, wrap this up is to talk about what's not in this particular report and often what's not uh, in the kind of material that's used to shark business. And that is a discussion (laughs) of – a discussion of the banking function, Mm -hmm. of control, of capital. Listen, I just want to get a big rate of return with the big four – yeah. And so the point here really, and I hope this comes through, has not been just to have fun criticizing what's out there. That's not, I mean, that's part of it, but that is, that is not the reason we wanted to discuss this. The reason we want to discuss this is to publicize and to make people aware that this is what goes on. And this is just one form of what goes on. Yeah. But this is really cloaked with a layer of a professional appearance. Yes. Independent, third party, fee only. You've got to, this is where we end up. You just say, what's the answer? Right? And I love how you put it. And you haven't made your 2020 Nelson Nash Institute talk available yet. But, and people keep asking about it. But one thing you said in there about how in cereal boxes, you used to have little decoder glasses 
the red and blue that you could take out of the cereal box, you put them a, over your eyes. A red and, yep. film of plastic, and, and then you had a printed piece of paper. You had read blue the hidden, letters. You read the hidden red print. Letters. Yeah, you read the hidden print on the box. That the version of decoder glasses in the IBC world is the book becoming your own banker. No question. That is the answer, right? That is the solution. You could listen to us all day and you'd and be should. wise to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but the the key is to go to the source. Everything you do, everywhere you do it well, starts with the source, right? You go to the source. Go to the guy who came up with this idea <coughs> and take what you, and read that diligently. There's a book review we did to help with that. Well, let's spend some time on that. You know, we're saying, and, and rightly so, everybody that hears that would say, yes, I want to go to the source. How do they go to the source? Let's put some Two places. framework in there. You can go to Amazon.com and get the infant get becoming your own banker by R Nelson Nash it's yeah. the it's the fifth I'm getting there it's the fifth edition <laughs> black cover right or well, you could go to infinitebanking.org and order it directly from the Nelson Nash Institute and here's why I say Amazon you know it was like earlier this year or late last year some people out of China okay uh, violated the copyright of the book becoming your own banker printed a bunch of them sold them on amazon but the pages were not even in order okay so whenever you go to amazon i'm not disparaging you know uncle bezo and the you know distribution system for the you know the world order i'm not i'm just saying that i don't know uh i mean i'm just that in fact that's what happened some chinese uh, I'm assuming they're Chinese because they were from China, okay? Violated the copyright, printed up a bunch of books, and the pages were not even complete or in order. So go to the Nelson Nash Institute or bankingwithlife.com. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. But get the book, Becoming Your get Own Baker. Get the book. Yeah. All right. 92 pages, very short, very simple, written for the layperson. It's not hyper-technical. It's not cloaked in uh, $10 words to justify a fee. Uh, and you can take what you learned there and you can apply it to what you see online and from other people, including us. You know, it's we just try to do what Nelson taught. <clears throat> and Okay, so let me, let me continue on that. So you should read Nelson's book, his first book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Okay. I think it's 1999 at Nelson National Institute. 29.95 or whatever it is. It's 29.95. You know, in the description below, you can press a link and get a starter kit. With that starter kit comes, and I know it's a shameless plug, the Becoming Your Own Banker book and a Banking with Life DVD. It's legitimate, and you should watch it. Then you should purchase Nelson's second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. Right, then you mentioned the five-part book review, also in the description below, and then. There, there's an opportunity to purchase Nelson Nash's eight-hour seminar, right? Live and in person. You know, he used to travel the country delivering eight to 10-hour seminars. This is recorded, I believe, in Fort Worth, Texas, right? That's available for you to watch on your own leisure. Mm -hmm. Nelson Nash himself delivering his seminar over an eight-hour period. Now, that is where you go that is the source that is the horse's mouth now you can buy every bit of that have it delivered to your home for less than this poor guy paid oh what a good point for this 
two-page, poorly written, and I'm not even a, a, a great writer, but I mean, my gosh, you mean 395 for this? Jeez. What? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, nothing but love, right? Okay. That's a great point. He really could have spent he could have. a fraction of the money that he's that th- that was spent on this report to go hear from Nelson himself and learn really learn something, learn the truth, not this sales stuff regurgitated. Yeah. So that's 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 really the the choice, right? Pay a fee only advisor an inflated hourly rate, or just go learn from the guy who who taught it. Yeah. Or engage with somebody you don't fully trust, right? And you're always like second guessing yourself questioning yourself should i do this is this the right thing should i do this should i not do that no spend the time you know and i kind of said in the last one and there's a lot of good content that we're not ultimately apparently going to release from last weekend because i couldn't refrain myself um every consumer wants to be an educated consumer i believe and so if that's true and it is let's just think through that an educated don't we all want to be an educated consumer Okay, education comes prior to the consumption. Spend your time educating yourself. You know, just because we sit here, you know, every other Saturday giving up our free time shooting clays or, you know, floating around with the ladies on, you know, beautiful lakes around Texas, um, and we're passionate about this, and doesn't mean it's right for you, right? Just because you see some phenomenal presentation that's mesmerizing with numbers and you can print money out of thin air, practicing the infinite banking concept, which is hogwash, um, it's okay for you to spend the time, effort, and energy to vet this idea yourself. And we're just saying this is how you do that. The books, the DVDs. And if you go through those, you will not have a doubt in your mind whether to practice the infinite banking concept or not. And you will not have a doubt in your mind whomever you're working with or vetting to work with is competent or not competent. And it's really that simple. If you know what's going on, you will know what to do. And and as a client put it this week, and if you know better, you'll do better. Oh, he's been listening to the podcast. I admonish people all the time. If you know better, you should do better. She, yes. She. She has. Oh, in New York. Yep. I love New York. Okay. Well, we didn't get to the other one. You know, what I do guess you mean we'll, the other one? What else? No, uh, the other one that, that, that gets down to uh, the comparisons, you know, comparing the infinite banking concept to, you know, like gold. Oh, gosh. That was <laughs> listen, painful. This is painful. The other, my goodness. All, All right. right. I'm happy. We, we did it. We maintained a degree of positivity. <laughs> I'm positive. All right. I'm hungry. Well, have fun, man. You can fix that. Thanks for listening, y'all. Have a great day. Love, peace, chicken grease. Look free and independent. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content. 